0: Next door of business is a roll call of members. Please indicate your presence when the machine is open. With all the members, ahead,
1: Tyler, roll. We have one week left to go. Uh, we just concluded uh, with a series of concurrences. Uh, and uh, I got to tell you, pretty excited to wrap up the podcast, too, because this is a lot of work on Thursday afternoons. Um, But very excited by my guest today, uh, in addition to being uh, one of the longer-serving members of the legislature and uh, an extraordinary public servant here in the city of Indianapolis. It is also his birthday week. Ed Delaney turned 80 years old this week. Ed, do you feel 80? Uh, I'm just glad to be here. You know, that's just (laughs) wonderful. I feel very, I'm doing
0: very well. It's really kind of remarkable. I'm trying to set a new goal, but I don't know what it is yet.
1: When, when, uh, we got together yesterday to celebrate Ed's birthday, a few of us, and uh, when they said 80 years old, I actually didn't believe it. I, you could have given me 10 guesses I never would have thought you were 80 years
0: old. <laughs> Thank you. i look
1: 85. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> Very, yeah, definitely definitely a lot of fire and youth in you still, I think. So, uh, you yeah, it's been an interesting week. Uh, the thing about this week, and maybe folks don't really see this as often, is while the calendar is kind of normal most of session and you kind of know what's coming, this is a week where things just change all the time. Could you kind of give folks a glimpse into that?
0: Yeah, if we come in at 10 o'clock in the morning, we may do literally nothing other than honor somebody for their service, and and then that's it because we don't have anything ready to vote on yet. And then we have these rules about how many hours between a vote of a certain type and a vote of another type, so we have to delay. Then we have a thing called the Rules Committee, which is one of the great mysteries of life, which makes sure that we're not violating some taboo that we don't even know about, and that delays more. So, yeah, you jump in, you jump out, you vote. The most interesting sign of all this is, you can't be guilty of being absent you, because we have all these committees meeting while we're on the floor voting. So we'll sometimes see 10 or 20 people, maybe more, just not on the floor. They're busy working away in a committee trying to resolve a dispute between the House and the Senate. So that's very strange that it's sort of, you know, show up if you can.
1: Well, and it, and, you know, I'm on the Rules Committee, and, and I didn't know what the Rules Committee would hear today until today right so uh things do move fast you're handed a conference committee report uh and you're trying to make sure everything lines up the way it's supposed to uh but yeah we we literally will go in leave come back in leave Uh, and while we didn't have as much this week of that next week will be a will be days that could go until the evening of just coming in and and coming out so has it always been that way i mean every every year you've been here it's it's, it's,
0: actually a little easier now because we don't seem to run as big an agenda we seem to have because the supermajority has been in charge so long that they don't have a lot of big ideas. I'm not saying that they ever did, but they don't have any big ideas. So we pass a lot of simple little bills during the session. So we're not having major chaos. They are. They're fighting about some of their education bills. They're fighting about the budget. Uh, they're fighting about whether they want to protect property tax or homeowners particularly or not. So, but those are mostly their internal fights. So. To some extent, the Democrat members and many of the Republican members are sort of interested observers. Well, this goes on in the back room.
1: Uh, one interesting piece of news that happened this week is we we just got notice that SB 283 has been dissented upon. Uh, SB 283 is the bill that uh, fixes one of the mechanics of road funding uh, in the state of Indiana and makes it a little bit more equitable for Marion County residents. It would have been a, about $8 million added to our road funding. And by the way, the whole underlying bill simply says
0: that we'll stop getting gypped in the future the way we got chipped in the past on our part. Apparently someone at the state house, some bureaucrat, uh, for years didn't know how to count how many people were in Indianapolis. It's kind of a quirk from Unigov. So we were always undercounted, so we got less money than we deserved. And they, I think it cost us 80 or 90 million dollars in the past. We're not getting back what they gypped us out of. The question is, will they continue jipping us? And apparently Senator Freeman... Is open to the possibility that yeah. we
1: continue getting underfunded. Well, it was, you know, it's he brought the bill forward. I think we're obviously grateful for that in the first place. Um, and the, the conversation back and forth has been fruitful on getting this bill to where it's at. I just have to imagine, and, it, and one thing to note is because there's a dissent, that now means it goes to conference committee. And so for, like we explained last week, you know, these four individuals are going to get together and, and try to come to some agreement on where the bill should land mechanically, this also means other stuff could try to get snuck into that bill. That's half the reason things go to
0: conference committees. There's nothing wrong with the bill. It's just somebody wants to stuff something else in there. And if a bill gets enough momentum, um, then that's a very good target to stuff something in because you know it's going to pass. So let's put another yeah. little bauble in there, another trinket, another Christmas
1: bulb. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, actually some, some really great news this week uh, from our members uh we've uh you know obviously passed all these deadlines and now you know bills are starting to make it to the governor's desk based on concurrence and as we wrap up conference committee reports uh hb1138 authored by Representative Carolyn Jackson to test child care and preschool facilities for lead and drinking water. Uh, that's now uh, waiting the governor's signature. Uh, House Bill 1228, authored by Representative Maureen Bauer, strengthens child seduction laws. That's now waiting on signature by the governor. Also waiting for signature by the governor, Representative Mitch Gore's HBL 1365, uh, which uh, dealt with definitions of machine guns to address some of these attachments that can be put on firearms now to make them essentially semi-automatic. Uh, Representative Greg Porter, HB 1422, dementia care programs to assist Hoosiers and their families impacted by the disease is now waiting the signature of the governor. And finally, HB 1449, which is the automatic enrollment uh, into 21st Century Scholars Program. That's by Representative Earl Harris Jr. now awaits the governor's signature. So what my question to you, Ed, this has been a pretty good year for, for Democrats in terms of getting legislation passed. Yeah,
0: it's unusual. Uh, it's, put it this way, if there's something that is obviously good But somehow not particularly attractive to the Republicans, um, then they'll, or that they feel is kind of Democrat turf, they'll let us get an amendment passed or a bill passed. Uh, I find it very interesting. So I think the 21st Century Scholars is a good example. That was originally by the Democrats, the Democrats years ago that we've always pushed for it. We've always wanted more people involved in the program. There's never been any principled objection. So I think, you know, to that extent, the Republicans are being fair, saying, it was your idea forever? We slowed you down forever. We're finally going to let this thing pass. So why don't you get the credit? I have to thank them for that. I think that's a decent human behavior. And the substance of these bills is uniformly good and positive for the public.
1: Ed, you serve on Ways and Means, and um, you know, we've got now uh, the budgets, the competing budgets uh, between the Senate and the House. What kind of happens now that these two documents are out floating around and we're trying to get to a final, a final read on where we're going to land?
0: Well, there's a heavy negotiation between the Senate Republicans and the House Republicans. A good example, a critical example, is whether or not we're going to protect property tax, meaning homeowners protect homeowners from increasing property taxes. There's a lot of, where the system is set up, they're gonna keep going up and up, and they're already pretty high for many people, and higher than we expected. The Senate is reluctant uh, to do anything to protect the homeowners, that's peculiar. Uh, They wanna pass the buck to the local government and so forth. The House is quite open to looking at funding more of our educational costs from the state revenues which would take pressure off the property tax. That's the key issue. One of the reasons we don't have good roads is because we quite rightly fund our schools. Well, if we take some of the funding for the schools away from our property taxpayers, move it back to the state where I think it principally belongs, that creates an opportunity to do roads, pay police more, take care of local government issues. So the House is, interestingly enough, because of the chairman, more open... Doing this than the Senate The and it's not open to this, and so that's a big fight. There are other big fights. Vouchers, uh, the House wants to go crazy, expanding vouchers to people who make, you know, a, almost a quarter of a million dollars a year, and who are already paying for their kid in their private or Catholic school, and suddenly we want to say, well, you shouldn't have been paying all along. We'll take care of it for you. I mean, that's that is not a rational allocation of our resources. Aside from whether you do or don't like uh, private schools. If we're going to put money into education, put it in the hands of those who need it the most, not those who need it the least and who are already taken care of. So, but those are those are particularly big fights. There are other subtle fights that are fights that don't involve much money.
1: Uh, you know, the thing to note, HB 1177, which we've talked about previously, uh, is the bill which allows for handgun training for Indiana teachers. Uh looks like that's been dissented upon as well. So we'll go into conference committee. Uh, you know, I think at this point uh, we anticipate that that language is going to is going to get over to the governor. Uh, what can Democrats be doing in these last well, few— Well, that's uh, a quandary
0: for me. Is that the one where I'm the conferee with Jim Lucas? I, I, think, I think it might be. I, I do not support the idea of— Funding, training our teachers how to be armed guards within their classrooms. I'm not sure that it can be done effectively, and I'm not. And I'm very sure the message we're sending, which is you know more of the stand your ground stuff. So I'll have a hard time signing that. I don't. I don't know if I will. Um, you know, at some point you have to say I'm not going to touch this stuff. Yeah. That's a, a curious thing happened to me a couple of weeks ago. It happened to me walking through the downtown Marriott, going from one place to another in the rain, avoiding the rain. I came by this vast conference going on. I looked in the room. There were 250, 300 people sitting at tables conferring and having lectures, and I looked, and the sign was the School Safety Conference. We have created an industry of school safety, okay? And you see it in the bills. We passed another one today. It's an industry. I don't think it's an industry that's effective. I don't think it can be effective. But we're putting more guns, more more devices I mean, I, I'm all for locks, I'm all for cameras, but a lot of this stuff is not going to do any good. We can't turn our schools into fortresses. Uh, so it's a big, in my view, it's a big issue. It's a big distraction, a big diversion of money. We we need to have fewer darn guns. I mean, if you don't know that after this week, when will you know? I mean, now it's... I have to get my car set up so that it can't go up driveways lest I get shot by some trigger-happy... A homeowner. Right. Yeah, so enough of that.
1: <laughs> so as we kind of wrap up this next week and um, in, in the, the final week of session, uh, what should people be paying attention to? We're
0: paying a p- attention to the size of the surplus we're going to have and whether we have any purpose for it, paying attention to whether we're going to protect homeowners from increasing property taxes, uh, pay attention to whether we're really going to support our schools, the schools that we're obligated to support. Remember that. We're- we have literally no obligation under our Constitution to give five cents to a private or parochial school, but we spend all of our time talking about them. So we're talking about less than 100,000 kids between the charter schools and the vouchers, and I'm right at a million. And we spend all of our time talking about the 8 or 9%, not the 92%. We've You know, we've got to change that conversation. We've got to stop beating up on the teachers. We're telling them they no longer will have the right to discuss things like class size and discipline with their school officials, they won't have the right. If the boss feels like it, then you can get to talk. So, you've got to watch the teachers, watch the property tax, uh, watch the overall budget, the surplus, and uh, and see where we're going. We we have great opportunities.
1: Forecast said 1.5 billion dollars ahead of what was anticipated. Uh, yeah. What does that What does that mean in real it's, life? It
0: needs to be understood. We had a. Forecast of what our revenue would be. We did it in December. It was very positive. It was one of a series where we looked better and better. And in the, what, 90 or 100 days between our December forecast and now, we have found another billion and a half. Plus, there's a savings that nobody talks about on Medicaid. So we'll have $2 billion more than we thought we'd have when we showed up here in January. Uh, and we got to decide what's the responsible thing to do that. What should we invest in? I, I heard the Farm Bureau, not usually my ally, say we need to invest in people. So that means our hospitals, our rural hospitals in particular, our schools, training for adults who need training, affordable housing, we need to invest in people. But the majority likes the glory of economic development. They want to put billions into proposed wonderful new business transactions. I don't, think most, I don't think they can prove that they actually provoke these transactions. I think we just give money to somebody who already decided to build the plant. But anyway, those things you got to watch. Uh, one of the sleepers, one I'm very interested in, we have an opportunity to build out a high-speed passenger rail in this state unlike any other state because of our geography. So the federal government wants to build high-speed rail up the east coast, which, where it already kind of exists. But here... Because you can't help uh, Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, Michigan. You can't help them with high speed rail without helping Indiana because right we're answer. stuck in the middle. So that's a sleeper. I don't think we'll put any money in it, but I think something's happening in the background. I hope to God it does.
1: So I don't want to, you know, as we wrap up here, just kind of talk a little bit about you. So uh, where where do you represent here in the city? I what do the folks the north,
0: know? north Central and Northwest part. So Around the Governor's Mansion, uh, all Broad Ripple, over towards St. Vincent's Hospital, and I go over to the edge of uh, uh, Eagle Creek, my favorite place in town. So, That's yeah, beautiful. it's a pretty strange-shaped district, but highly educated
1: relatively speaking,
0: uh, group with some pockets of real poverty, too.
1: One of the things that is often joked about on the floor is that you offer a lot of amendments. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and and obviously, it's true. You do it actually offer... It's literally true.
0: I'm buying number one.
1: Do you believe that in terms of the tools in the toolbox of the minority, that those amendments are are one of the the best things we've got to advance yeah. our, our goals?
0: It's a- one of the few things where we can make something happen, they, they can't change the rule. They can't fool around. If I want to make an amendment saying they're putting too much into a bill and I want to lower it, I can do that. They can't stop me. Uh, if I want to change the language of the bill, sometimes my amendments are purely technical. I'm a lawyer. I can't stop being a lawyer. I see inconsistency, illogic, bad language. I, I, I try to do that. But mostly I'm trying to send a message. And that's what you can do. And also trying to get the other side to have to vote on the record because we can force them to be on the record, vote against things that people want. <laughs> you know, if they're against it, they ought to be on the record yeah. that they're against it. So I, it's our main tactic, and it's something I've enjoyed doing, and I've sometimes been, gotten a reputation for doing a lot of amendments. But I use some discretion, and sometimes I file the amendment and don't actually call it down because I've made the point. You know, and I've sent a signal over to the Senate. If the Senate's interested, they can pick it up and use it over there. Yeah. So, you know, I'm scattering uh, breadcrumbs.
1: The nature of offering a lot of amendments means you're at the mic a fair amount as well. <laughs> yeah, well that's, and so yeah. it's uh, one thing I, I wanted to, folks to know about you. It's, you know, I, I learned it the first time at a trivia night we had as a caucus. And then you shared the story again yesterday uh, when we were celebrating your birthday. Despite being somewhat robust in your remarks and your uh, time at the mic, you spent a period of time completely silent for 30 days. And I think people who who follow the legislature would, would never think that's possible. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, when I was a young man, I dropped out of college and went into Jesuit seminary. I was going to be a Jesuit priest, sort of a scholar probably. And in the early months of initiation into that fine organization, they make you be quiet for 30 days, but you can't talk to anybody about anything. You sit at meals together and don't talk. You go do your exercise and don't talk. And I did it. I decided at the front that I... Could do it, and that I was being asked to do it, so I said I'm here for that. So yeah, I didn't speak to anyone for 30 days. At the end, I had
1: way too many beers to celebrate the fact that I could talk and have a beer. It was a great day. <laughs> so what what changed your mind? Uh, what what took you from the priesthood to sitting in front of me now at the legislature? Well, the, the great lesson I had wasn't this is true of a lot of people. I'm just a
0: family person, and you know, I, I, I of course I like women, but beyond that, I missed my parents. I missed my peers who weren't committed to this particular exercise of being a Catholic priest. And so I just said, socially, I I can't be here. I'm not going to make it here. I'm not going to be happy here. So I went back out to the broad, wide world again and (laughs) changed my life completely. Got got in the Navy, got to law school, and and got got into politics. I was always interested in that. So,
1: yeah, it has been an interesting career. In terms of so you're you're a lawyer and a uh, uh, by training and a legislator, which job's harder? Oh,
0: they share one thing in common. It's it's a very good question. Uh, this may be harder in that you get more results quicker and often they're bad. So that's you get slapped a lot more. Yeah. There's the difference. Here you get slapped more, there you get punched more. You lose a big case after three, or, I was a trial or after three or four weeks, and you lose or get some tiny verdict if you're the plaintiff, that's a gut shot. Here, they slap you, and two minutes later, they give you something, yeah. or at least your hopes rise that you can get something. So Far more decisions, far faster track, uh, so, but it's ultimately the same game. Getting along with people is at the heart of it. Whether it's a jury or the Republican majority. You got to get along.
1: It's it's interesting to me. This is one of the few jobs where you can win and lose countless times in a single day. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and, that is the part. And your attitude can change. You can come in saying, I got no hope, nothing good is going to happen. And then something surprisingly happens. Yeah. And it, so, it's
1: also one of the jobs where it feels like it actually re- truly does reset at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. like, even you might have a very intense conversation with someone, a tough debate or whatnot, and the next day you kind of just everyone just sort of starts fresh and uh, a remarkable kind of work environment. You
0: owe your time and energy to many different constituents, many different clients, many different issues, and you can't just spill your guts on one issue and and then shut down if you lose and go home and cry.
1: you got to get back up and do the
0: next issue. You owe it to somebody else. That's that's a very important part of this business I'm in here. Uh,
1: My final question, and it's because you're a very – powerful critic of the majority, like when you go to the mic, you do so in a really good, even on the podcast today, you know, as we talk about some of our colleagues, like they're, you know, you are very good at the fight. So knowing that, but also that the, this place is built on relationships, how have you maintained being the staunch critic and also a person who folks uh, will have a relationship with and you can kind of keep things moving?
0: I think there's two things that help me do that. First of all, I like people and I always use humor, even in my most aggressive speech, all but a few, there'll be a bit of humor or self deprecation, which is a great Irish trick that I have. So so get try to get along with people. That's that's part of it. And the other thing is say something worth listening to. So I don't use a lot of adverbs or adjectives. I never say anything is the worst idea ever, you know. I just try to articulate in detail what's wrong with their idea and make them embarrassed about it. Uh, but make them think that I've got a point other than my anger. If if my anger is all the point I got, I can send them a note you know, saying I hate you. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So yeah, try to... And you can move things. My favorite one, this is my favorite one. I spent a year saying we got to pay teachers $40,000. They got sick of it, but they didn't have a rebuttal. And so finally they gave me that in a strange sort of way, but I got that. That's, a, that's why mine was a great accomplishment. <laughs> but it was because... I kept telling them they were wrong, but I wasn't nasty about it.
1: Well, Ed, I appreciate you taking the time. It's cool for me because I, you know, when I got to the city after graduating from college, um, you, you had a kind of legendary status already, and so now getting to serve alongside you is very, very fun. So, <laughs> well, it's better to be a live legend, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, hey everybody, thanks for thanks for tuning in. Like I said, this is uh, there's only one more episode after this, and so uh, this has been a, a, a fun run here. I mean, we're gonna be. Uh, wrapping up next week, and we'll adjourn. Uh, actually, Ed, my question. Sine die. I keep hearing it said multiple ways. but yeah, I'm Nobody knows how to say it because it's Latin, but it means without days,
0: without any deadline. So I right. say sine die because that's what Hoosiers say. Sine die would be better if you were a Latin. I used to speak Latin. <laughs> it's rare. So we will adjourn sine
1: die, sine die, whichever one uh, next week. Yeah. Uh, and this will be the end of legislative session. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a wonderful weekend.